You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Mackinac Policy Conference, the annual opportunity for business and political leaders to leave home and work behind, come together on the island, have conversations that they might not otherwise have, come up maybe with some solutions that we haven't thought of before. It seems we're hearing more and more frequently right now about how divided we are as a nation, socially, geography, racially, and politically. We've seen numerous center-leaning politicians leave a life of politics and cite the divisiveness and vitriol of Washington as part of the reason that they were ready to be done. Is it a spirit of bipartisanship that we need? And is that possible in modern politics? Are lawmakers capable working across the aisle and still being respected by their constituents? And is it possible that this particularly fraught time in American politics could break through to a renewed sense of collaboration between lawmakers and opposite parties? Joining me now to talk about what is going on in Washington with regard to bipartisanship is Congressman Dave Trott. He's a Republican from Birmingham, represents the 11th district here in Michigan. Also with us is Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. She's a Democrat from Dearborn, represents the 12th District. Welcome to Detroit Today, both of you. Great to be with you. So, I mean, I know both of you well enough that I know that bipartisanship actually is uh, sort of a premium value for you. That the idea that, okay, some people think differently than you do, but that doesn't mean you can't work with them or shouldn't try to work with them. At the same time, I know how frustrated uh, you you both get sometimes thinking about how that how that looks in practical terms. Let's start just with what's the environment right now in Washington? How capable are we of any sort of uh, cross-party collaboration, uh, Congressman Trot? Well, I think it's uh, you know I've only been there uh, you know about three years. It's yeah. more partisan than ever. And uh, with respect to whether we're capable of getting to some kind of bipartisan solutions on some of the big issues facing our country, at the moment, I think it's a, it's a high, uh, a big challenge. Yeah. And I think it's a function of a few things. I mean, there's some systemic things in Washington that lead to the dysfunction, but at the moment, uh, uh, many of the Democrats uh, believe that uh, the Republicans for the last six years stood in the way of anything and everything that President Obama wanted to do. And so now it's payback time. Well, they did. Right. So now it's payback time. They're not going to work with Trump on anything. And then similarly, President Trump, I think, is still uh, learning how Washington works and uh, so far has not uh, generated the political capital that he needs to uh, lead. Yeah. And so those two things are exacerbating the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Congresswoman? Well, I, we can't give up. So, I mean, simply saying that we can't get along is not an acceptable answer. So... Uh, I, I have a great deal of respect for David and for the rest of the Republicans in this delegation. I think we're Americans and Michiganians and Michiganders first, and we've got to find a way to respectfully disagree, but to have an honest exchange of ideas. And then when you talk about some of the issues like the environment, uh, manufacturing, auto industry, we need to be seamless. And I think we do try to come together to uh, make sure that we're doing things that we need to do to support the people of Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't talk about Washington right now without talking about the president and the extraordinary circumstances that he finds himself in just a few months into office. I mean, serious allegations about misconduct, uh, serious inquiries into that misconduct all around him. Next week, the former director of the FBI is going to go before Congress and 
I, I guess, say that the president did some of the things he's accused of doing. How possible is it to even get anything done right now with this giant distraction uh, in the room? Uh, I think it's difficult. You know, there's no question the investigations and, and all the different headlines uh, are making it difficult to move the agenda forward. Uh, the special counsel is going to take probably a year to, to complete his investigation, so that's going to be ongoing. Um, I think the Democrats uh, correctly believe that the longer this investigation can be uh, dragged out, it will affect the midterm elections. And, uh, and the president, I, again, isn't evolving into the job such that he understands what he's dealing with. Yeah. And for that matter, he doesn't even have a full team uh, in, in yeah. place. So, yeah. uh, it, it's uh, you know, you're a Republican and, and I assume, you know, voted for the president. But, but I, I also know you well enough to know that there's stuff going on here that's got to bug you well, and, we have and, to get and the facts. trouble you. We, we have to get the facts. So I, I, I for one, am not going to say these investigations are, are uh, uh, misguided. I think Russia did uh, interfere with our election. I'm not sure at the end of the day it made a difference. That's to be determined. Right. But uh, then I also think there is an unusually uh, large number of people from the Trump team that were communicating with Russia. And we need to find out what exactly was going on. And uh, I heard today they're considering uh, uh, the two compounds that President Obama shut down because of the spying and s the 35 diplomats he sent back to Russia. I guess they're considering opening up the two compounds again and giving them back to Russia. I have no idea why he'd even consider doing that. Right, so. right. Uh, if he did the things that he's alleged to have done, for instance, if he told James Comey, look, back off of this thing with Mike Flynn, if he told other people that, as a Republican, how do you how do you deal with that? I mean, do you think uh, we need to move forward with, I don't know, questioning whether he should be the president? Right. Well, I, I certainly if what uh, Director Comey, former Director Comey, has alleged is true, then the president has a significant political problem on his hands. Sure. Uh, Alan Dershowitz was on some show last night, uh, certainly not a supporter of Donald Trump, no. and from a civil liberties standpoint was arguing that um, you know, we have to make sure that we don't let the politics interfere with a good legal outcome. Yeah. And so whether this rises to the level of obstruction of justice is to be determined. But we need to find out what exactly is going on and, uh, um, and, and, and see where it takes us. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to predict at this point because every, I've been <laughs> hard all, to do that. All my predictions have been wrong. Right. So I've I think that's true of all so. of us. We say things uh, that, that seem based on what's happening now, likely to happen tomorrow. And we get up and I don't know. The world's upside down again. Uh, uh, Debbie, talk about the Democratic role in all of this. Democrats have been accused of making too much of all of this, of using it to try to hold hostage the agenda that the president was elected to affect. How do you answer that? So I'm going to say several things. First of all, I am a very strong believer that we need an independent investigation, that it needs to be nonpartisan, and that we need to follow the facts. And it would tear this country apart to make this into a partisan uh, uh, issue. Uh, our national security needs to be a number one priority. And we've got to be united in protecting ourselves on national security. And I think we've got investigations that are going forward and that it's very important that that happen and that we all be open to what it finds and then follow those facts. Having said that, uh, I was the skunk at a picnic uh, last week when people were <laughs> high-fiving and saying we've got this 
um, independent counsel, which I think is we need an independent people investigation. Were, that, that really you know, some of my colleagues really are, exuberant about and that. I said, hey, I need to say this to you all. Did anybody read the Wall Street Journal and see that Ford Motor Company is looking at cutting its headcount by 10 percent? Yeah. Uh, and then isn't it great that we're only eliminating 1,400 uh, jobs? When does that ever good? And that General Motors is following right behind and every OEM is predicting a softening in sales. And the fact of the matter is we have a cyclical industry. And our jobs, David's and mine and everybody in this delegation, is to focus on the economy and manufacturing and making sure that we are doing what we need to do to ensure that we keep manufacturing in this country, that we are supporting an economy. People need certainty. Uh, the companies need certainty. Consumers need certainty. We need to not be contributing to a lack of consumer confidence. So we need to be in two tracks. Yeah. We need to be getting the facts, but we must never lose track of the fact. We need to worry about jobs in the economy, number one, and keep working on yeah. that. Yeah. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Congressman Dave Trout, a Republican from Birmingham, represents the 11th district here. In Michigan, also Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, a Democrat from Dearborn, represents the 12th district. We are at the Mackinac Policy Conference talking about the spirit of bipartisanship. Is it alive in Washington and Congress, or are the, the current political circumstances threatening the ability to work across the aisle? Uh, I, I want to talk about a subject that I think probably brings the two of you together uh, here in the state of Michigan. The president's budget suggests that there should be no federal support for Great Lakes restoration. And, and I, I, I don't know that I've heard a proposal that has uh, resulted in more excited uh, screaming around the state of, of, of Michigan before. Again, uh, are Republicans also in the position of saying this is not okay? Absolutely. So we uh, met as a delegation, uh, both senators, all the members of Congress, Democrat, Republican, we all agree if the president's uh, budget is uh, the budget we have to vote on, which is largely irrelevant, frankly. Our, our, we're it's gonna, a proposal. We're, yeah, we're right. going to do our own budget. Uh, but he zeroed out the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative from $300 million to zero. And if the budget does that, I won't support it. I don't think anyone in the delegation will support it. And, uh, you know, Debbie and I, speaking of bipartisanship, you know, we introduced a bill together to work on Line 5 and draw mm -hmm. some attention to that. And we, we're working on a letter, I think it's going out today or circulating today, to push back on Canada's plans to put a nuclear waste uh, a site dump. Uh, right near on, the lakes. You know, a mile from <laughs> uh, the shore. And so uh, we are working together on issues that are important to Michigan. But if the president's budget uh, has any traction in Congress, uh, I won't support it. Yeah. Debbie? Yeah, uh, 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 absolutely. I mean, the good news is everybody says that his budget is dead and arrival, and let us pray that that is the case. There are a number of things that are deeply disturbing. Well, I think disturbing. one of the things people people are concerned about is, so if you suggest that it gets zero dollars in funding, then you have an argument and you get back to, I don't know, a third of what it was it before. Now, oh, well, we won, but... You didn't really win. You still lost two thirds. I mean, how do you how do you prevent that from happening? Well, I think that this delegation is fully committed to going for full funding. We understand the importance of protecting 20 percent of the world's fresh water, and I think not only are we looking for the dollars to protect the Great Lakes and to fully fund the Great Lakes uh, restor restoration initiative, 
but we are working together and I think are already getting personal assurances in the quiet meetings that Region 5, which is in Chicago for the EPA, sure. will not close. We have an EPA lab in Ann Arbor that everybody's working. I mean, even the industry talks about the importance of that to the economy and economic development and what would happen if that were to close. As David said, we're doing Line 5. David and I have been totally joined at the hip on you know making sure we do to protect this. If that oil were to spill in the Great Lakes, the yeah, damage would be unfathomable. And then when you see the latest development in the report back still saying it should be the Great Lakes, we were on the phone within one hour of that report and like, okay, what do we do next? Right. And that's how we are. And that's what we've got to do. You know, and I think too much, uh, look, I'm deathly worried about many of the things that we are seeing at the White House. And you know, we're Americans and you keep thinking, well, it'll settle down and it's not settling down. Right. But our job is to work together and to take responsibility for what we've got to protect. And I think we, we don't focus enough on how this is what we are trying to do. We respectfully disagree on health care, but I would say that we are working on many, many things together to protect this state, yeah. and we need to talk about that. Uh, uh, Debbie was talking there about normalizing the White House. Um, you know, we've had, we've had presidencies, you know, take over who tripped out of the gate, who couldn't find their way to sort of stable governance in in a long time um this seems this seems unusual and i'm i'm curious about what the talk is inside the republican caucuses in congress about what to do about that or is if there's anything that can be done i mean can you save this presidency i guess is the question yeah so we don't really spend a lot of time uh talking about how the republicans republicans in congress can help uh, the president evolve in the job so it, it's uh <laughs> that's um, somebody else's responsibility yeah and so what we're trying to do is move legislation out of the house over to the senate uh senate takes a lot longer to get things done than the it house uh, i say it's largely because of their nap schedule but for whatever the reason it takes them a long time <laughs> and one thing we know is for better or worse whatever bill gets out of congress and ends up on the president's desk he's probably going to sign it uh, because he wants to get things done sure and so we're, we're, we're focused on that. But, uh, uh, you know, I think to your point, though, Stephen, I think the, the concern I have is that the president at the moment, at least, doesn't have the self-awareness to recognize some of the struggles of the administration. And, and I think generally believes things are going uh, according to plan. Yeah. And, and I think that's not the case. Do you think there's anyone around him who does understand, who has his ear, and can sort of, you know, turn the ship here? Well, you have to assume that people around him have, have asked him to stop tweeting, <laughs> and that hasn't worked. No. I, ga I gave a speech recently. That's getting worse, not better. Yeah, I, I gave a speech recently. I said, I wish the president used Google more than Twitter, <laughs> and uh, I stand by that. But uh, I'm sure there are people around him that are trying to be constructive, but it, it, it doesn't seem to have had an effect so far. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, my guests are Congressman Dave Trotter, Republican from Birmingham, represents the 11th District here in Michigan, also Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, Democrat from Dearborn who represents the 12th District. We are at the Mackinac Policy Conference on Mackinac Island talking about whether bipartisanship is still possible in Congress. Uh, I want to turn the subject to health care, uh, an area I know you disagree on. Uh, first, Congressman Trott, defend this bill that, that came out of the House, uh, a bill that the CBO predicts will cost 23 million people, uh, estimated 23 million people their coverage within the next few years. 
why is that an improvement over what we had before? Well, um, you know, the Affordable Care Act had many problems, and I talked to a lot of constituents who told me I have health insurance, but I can't afford I to can't, use it. I can't yeah. use it, yes. So there are a lot of problems with the Affordable Care Act. Uh, people were leaving the exchange, uh, very few choices, uh, so it wasn't sustainable. So we had to do something, and that, that I, I defend. Um, you know, the CBO has been wrong about an awful lot as well. They said 20 million people would sign up, uh, only 10 million In the did. marketplace, right. right. They, they said uh, 4 million people would take advantage of the small business program under the Affordable Care Act, uh, 200,000 signed up. Right. They, uh, they were closer on the estimates with what would happen with Medicaid, right? Yeah, I think they're up by 60%. So. No, 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 no. I mean, in terms of how many people would take advantage? Right, I think they underestimated. They underestimated, that. underestimated that. so that's yeah. significant. But, yeah. but um, uh, so uh, the Republicans in this bill have committed, and the big issue, and we've heard it from at our town halls, the big issue is pre-existing conditions and the continuing coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. Right. And we made a commitment to to, to protect pre-existing conditions, and we've so put eight billion dollars, eight billion dollars, and more money to follow if necessary. And people need to recognize this is a three-step process. This is the first step in three steps. The second step is to have Secretary Price work on regulatory reform, and the final step is the underlying policy that needs to be changed to make health care uh, more affordable. And, and I'll tell you this: whether it's the Affordable Care Act or American Health Care Act, unless we get the cost of health care down, none of these programs are going to work. But but at minimum, you're rolling the dice here with the idea that people will lose coverage. I mean, let's say they're off. Let's say they're off 50% on that projection. You're still at 11, 12 million people a year who may lose their coverage. I, I guess I, I'm having but, a hard time but, understanding why that is a solution. Well, you know, you also have to recognize that a significant percentage of the people that will lose coverage are folks that are no Some longer don't, yeah. uh, that are, are choosing not to, to have insurance. But is, that, because, is that progress? Well, the system doesn't work if people are not insured. Right. And, and, and so some of the people that, that are forced to have coverage under the Affordable Care Act are going to choose not to have coverage. And some of those folks will need coverage and some of them won't. So whether it's a solution that can sustain itself is unclear. I can tell you the Affordable Care Act was not sustainable. Yeah. Okay. Congresswoman Dingell? Look, there were, the Affordable Care Act wasn't perfect. The last perfect law was the Ten Commandments, and in this day and age, that probably wouldn't have been either. But having said that, the bill that we passed out of the House, which actually most of the Republicans say will never be the bill uh, that will be passed, and that the, it, it's deeply flawed. I mean, it, it would rip health insurance away from 23 million people. Our own governor of the state of Michigan talks uh, about how it would hurt. He's got Healthy Michigan, uh, which uh, almost 700,000 people gained insurance because of it. It would, uh, uh, after, there would be no new people allowed after December 31st, 2019. There are issues of, you know, a lot of time people are coming in and out. They're able to get a job, they're able to buy, then they go off, then they lose it, they can't go back in. Uh, it creates an age tax that would charge people 50 to 64 five times as much. I think one of the things that d deeply disturbs me is the loss of the essential services that people could opt out. Right. And we wouldn't have to deal with the pre-existing condition issue if that hadn't even happened. People And people don't understand this pre-existing issue is, you know, people with juvenile diabetes, it's people with high blood pressure, it's people with cancer. And we're creating a high-risk pool now that, you know, and I know that Fred and David, everybody, I know people care about 
people with pre-existing conditions, but we've really got to talk about what the do reality is. you something for them, right? Well, I, I, having talked to the experts, you, you suddenly are forcing, because you're ripping away the essential services, uh, now you got to figure out what you're going to do. You're going to create high-risk pools, which people say needs $300 billion to, to $300 billion, so you've got $8 billion that it is yeah. a drop in it's the bucket cover to it. cover it. And you know the thing that bothers me the most is that we are, the people right now that are the most vulnerable, are vulnerable, it's our young people, it's our poor people, it's people with chronic disease, sure. and seniors yeah. who are, and they're scared. What we're doing is scaring them to death and adding stress to their already pre-existing so, conditions. Uh, so Dave, if, if, there were a single-payer system in this country, we would not be having any of these debates. Now, we might be having other arguments, there might be other issues, but it's, it is the one approach that would solve all of this. Tell me why, other than your political philosophy, that's not something we should be talking about. Well, uh, um you know, part of it, and this is not a good explanation because uh, you know people's health is so critically important. But it's projected that in 10 years, Medicare will exceed a trillion dollars a year. So we have a, a, a financial problem uh, when we deal with health care. So you think it just would cost too much? Well, I mean, and, I, and then again, I told you, I prefaced it by saying that yeah. that's not a good answer okay. because you know people you know deserve the ability to have health care sure. and I but but we have a an underlying problem and it's so expensive there's an infinite demand for the finite amount of money and we're trying to solve that problem I will tell you to Debbie's point where we are today and what we're talking about on some levels probably irrelevant because there's not 50 votes in the Senate for what we sent over there so where we go from here is unclear right uh, and we'll see some sort of bargaining across the aisle I would imagine Democrats will have some say over what this bill looks like when it gets to the president's desk. I, I, I would think they will, yeah. yeah. You know, it's not, I don't really ever talk about this, but we need to talk about it, and I'll probably get in trouble with Lord knows how many people. But, you know, I spend more time in the health care system than I'd like to. I'm grateful that God, John is doing okay and sure. he's strong. But you get these insurance statements, and the charge is $24,000, <laughs> and the usual customary fee covered is $165. That's scary too, right? And then, you, you know, people are going out to these firms to have a managed prescription drugs, and their percentage of managing it is higher than what the cost. We got it. The cost of health care is out of control, and it's not rational. And we're intelligent, educated. Right. We're luckier than 99 and 9 tenths of the people, and we can't figure it out. We got to start to together. Well, and again, to we're paying more as Americans for health care than most Correct. other countries. We have better outcomes in some cases, but but, but we but don't not have others. better outcomes in it. And you know, again, I, again, all of everybody else deals with this from a standpoint that assumes care first. And I just, I guess I can't understand why we can't move to that space. I mean, I get the political philosophy that says, well, that's too much government control. That's too much government interference in people's lives. But again, it is people's lives you're talking about saving. But the government has proven over, over time to be uh, very poor at managing 
most programs. So see, I, um, and then I, right, we could spend three hours arguing right, about that. I would not stipulate to that. Okay. Well, you know, like yesterday, Senator Colburn, former Senator Colburn, was on some yeah. talk show, and yeah. he said the way to solve our health care problem in this country is to make it more transparent. I think there's some value in that. People have no idea. Uh, why one MRI would cost four hundred dollars and down totally the road is, is two thousand. Yeah. Now it's I talked ridiculous. to someone last night about it, and they said, "Well, what people don't realize is, you know, and I have a lot of confidence in in individuals over the government, but buying your health care is different than buying a TV. And so an MRI that's four hundred dollars might be four hundred dollars because it's not nearly as good of an MRI as the one that's two thousand sure. dollars. And and you start to negotiate over price. I can see a lot of value in that, and the competition and transparency and the benefit of that." But then I can also see some risk that people may not understand what they're buying. And, and so how you solve that problem is, is a big question, but it might go a long ways to making healthcare more affordable. Yeah. And also, get transparency is something that we really, I mean, it gets into this, they have usual and customary fees. And so, you know, you're only allowed to charge that much, but it is the same machine. And we have, we're not doctors, we have no ability, yeah. but there's something wrong. There if you just look at your insurance right? statements, there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Congressman Dave Trott, Republican from Birmingham, represents the 11th district here in Michigan. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, Democrat from Dearborn, represents the 12th district. Thank you very much Thank for you. being here on Detroit Today. Great to be with you. All right, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. We'll be back after a short break.